It's a beautiful morning to come together to worship our God in heaven, isn't it? Certainly it would be entirely appropriate to, to express on behalf of Denise and myself the kind wishes, the very powerful prayers that you directed on our behalf for that gospel meeting in Rockcliffe. And we're so thankful that things went as well as it did. Thankful for that congregation there and thankful for this congregation here. Also like to express thanks to those of you who made that notable journey, I guess, all the way to McMinnville. Certainly a delight to always see the faces of our family here come and be with us and support those meetings. Truly today, as we're blessed not only with our membership, but our visitors alike, we're thankful for every individual that's here. To all the fathers in the audience, we'd like to say a word of Happy Father's Day to you. The third Sunday in June every year, of course, is Father's Day on the calendar. And in fact, our lesson today will at least surround that topic of a Bible father. If you would be turning to the book of Job, we're going to look at some aspects, some features, some characteristics from that interesting Old Testament book and use that to encourage all of us as fathers. I might say, though, that even the ladies in the audience, there are some things, at least principles, that we can learn to even help us, even if we might not be a father or ever be a father. But at least our thoughts today will encourage us and light off the man Job as a Bible father he was. As we begin that, this next slide will, quite frankly, help us to appreciate a few of those things I just asked you to consider a moment ago. Today is that day, according to the calendar, that's Father's Day. And the Bible, of course, honors the attributes of fatherhood, godly fathers, all the time, all the days of the year. As I did a little bit of research on that, I believe you'll notice that third point, at least to me, offers an interesting appreciation. Are you aware of the fact that the word father, or some form of it, occurs 1,718 times in the Bible? Now clearly a lot of those refer to God as our Father, but still, that word Father occurs so terribly often, and needless to say, being used that often, it reminds us that there's some great truths to be highlighted in it. Some things we can appreciate, some things that can help us, gentlemen, to be better fathers. And as I mentioned earlier, that all of us can live in a way that would please God. It is for that reason you'll note the bottom. We're going to study today casting all of our interest on a Bible father. It's the man Job. Let me use the first part of the lesson then to at least highlight some of the features of the setting of the man Job. Now many of these will be drawn from the first couple of chapters of that book, but yes, some of them really will occur from the later chapters as well. But you'll notice almost instantly we are told where Job lived he was a resident in the land of Uz. Now, you and I know that that is, of course, in that Middle Eastern part of the world. And along with that, you might note this. Job was a wealthy man. As far as those individuals living in the ancient day and in that part of the world, Job was wealthy. In fact, the opening chapter of this book says it like this in verse 3. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household. You and I perhaps can already appreciate that to own a large number of sheep 
would be one thing. To own a large number of yoke of oxen would be one thing. But Job owned 7,000 sheep. It wasn't just a sizable flock. It was a massively sized one. And not only that, could I call your attention to the camels? In that part of the world, few animals are signs or at least indications of a man's wealth more so than a camel. Because camels are so vitally needed as transit, in, as transit things, carrying heavy matters even in dry, arid desert conditions. Job had not one camel, not even a dozen. He had 3,000 of them. May I suggest to you, Job was a very wealthy man. In addition to all those things, Job was married. Now, although chapter 1 does not directly mention his wife, chapter 2, verse 9 does. You may notice on that occasion, she, in fact, the only statement of which we have any record of the book, she, of course, didn't have a lot of encouragement for Job on that occasion. But in addition to a wife, he had ten children. In Job chapter 1, verse 2, it reads, "...and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters." Now, back to our slide before us. Isn't it true that so far the image we have of Job was a man who had a great number of things working in his favor? Married, children, wealthy. It all sounds good. Things took a turn for the worse beginning in verse 6, though, in chapter 1. I'll not read the fullness of the remainder of that chapter, but could I at least call to your attention things you likely would remember from, from previous studies of the book. A great deal of adversity came upon Job. In fact, beginning in verse 13 it says, There was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone am escaped to tell thee. There was a marauding band of Sabaeans that came, and according to verse number 15, they fell upon not only the female donkeys, but also the oxen, and took them away and killed all of Job's servants that were tending to those animals. That doesn't sound very good, does it? There was a significant loss. But that wasn't all. Look at the next verse. While he was yet speaking. Talk about an overflowing flood of bad news. Look at the next verse. Verse 16. While that man was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. No sooner had the first servant shared the message of losing the female donkeys as well as losing the oxen that there was another servant who said fire broke out and burned up the sheep another great loss that's still what and all verse number 17 while he was yet speaking while that second servant was still delivering the bad news, another servant arrived. And verse 17 says, There came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, and have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. 
and I only am escaped to tell thee. Now, those camels that were worth so much, these Babylonians have come and stolen them and killed all of Job's servants that were tending them. Job has lost the camels. He's lost the sheep. He's lost the oxen. He's lost the female donkeys and all the servants that tended them. Probably all that news was delivered in a matter of, what, an hour or less? At this point, you can begin to see the adversity was significant, but we still aren't done. Look at verse 18. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. It's one thing to lose your animals, but when you lose your children. Now this other messenger comes, and again, even before the previous one had finished about the Babylonians, Job, your children have been killed. A great wind arose, all your children were together, and they were enjoying a time of celebration and feasting, and the house collapsed upon them. As you can well tell, to say that this was a day of adversity for Job is perhaps an understatement. I would ask you to notice that one last thing, though, should be noted. In chapter number 2, verse number 7, after all these losses, look what else happened to the poor man Job. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Maybe you and I have on occasion had a, a, a blister, a boil that would rise up, and having one of them is bad enough. Can you imagine being literally covered with them? from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head. Job had lost nearly everything. All his animals, and now even his health. A man afflicted with adversity, and yet I entitled the lesson a Bible father. In the midst of all of this, what kind of father was he? Well, as you and I transition to the bottom of that slide and the beginning of the next one, chapter number 2 closes by three friends that came to offer some comfort to him, to at least be there for him in the midst of this dire set of circumstances. In fact, in verses 11 through 13 of chapter 2, these three friends are named, and their names are what I've listed for our consideration. Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. And they came, and through the rest of the book, they share speeches with and offer words to Job. As you and I close that slide, we now come to several lessons that all of us can benefit from. A Bible father? What kind of a man was Job? What kind of a father was he? Could you or I, gentlemen, use Job as at least an example, one who had many good things that might be said about him? Let me offer some possibilities and also some things that I'm convinced, at least after my study, are things I'd like to always remember. The first thing I believe fair to say about Job, he was a spiritually oriented man. 
Now, would you be impressed with these observations? Verse number 1, and this is what Joel read for us earlier. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Would you please be impressed with this? Job was a wealthy man. He could have spent all his time watching the sheep, tending to the oxen, taking care of the camels, but he didn't. Job, it says in verse 1, was perfect and upright. Even though God had blessed him with wealth, his focus was still on spiritual matters. That was the most important to him. So important, in fact, was it that notice what is said in verse number 5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that's his children, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Job was a father who was so concerned about the spiritual well-being of his children, he offered burnt sacrifices for them. That is to say, in the days before the law of Moses, so he didn't have to go to the priest. The father was the patriarch. Dad was offering burnt offerings for his children. He wanted them more than anything else to be right with God. They, you see, were the prized possession in light of the fact they were immortal spirits. Job was a spiritually oriented man. Not only does it say that he was perfect and upright, he wanted them to be right with God. Fathers, there's nothing greater that you and I can do than to help ensure that our children understand the God that made them and that they're going to give an answer to Him and that they, above all things else, need to be right with Him. Providing a roof over their head, oh, that's important and it's fine. And putting food on the table is necessary. But there's going to come a time that they're going to give an answer to God and those things won't matter. How's their soul? Job was a spiritually oriented man. In the New Testament, and yea, other books in the Bible filled with information encouraging all of us to appreciate that it's important to take care of the physical matters in life. But by far the most important are the spiritual things. Didn't Jesus say it like this in Luke 12, 15? A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So you and I may have lots of camels and sheep, just like Job did, but yet we could still be bereft of the greatest blessings and gift of all if we don't know the Lord. Aren't you impressed that here was a wealthy man that still knew the Lord? It's not wrong to be wealthy. It's wrong to use wealth in the way condemned by God. But you notice that here we find that these verses I would offer for your consideration. Did Jesus say it like this in Matthew chapter 6? Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." And didn't Jesus in a thunderous way say it like this in Mark 8, verses 36 and 37? 
What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Job, you see, had his priorities right. A Bible father will always have his priority right. Are you and I, gentlemen, Bible fathers? As I mentioned, that's wise advice for all of us, be it man or woman. Let's close that first point, though, by noting that touching admonition given in a number of places in the New Testament. Fathers, Ephesians 6 verse 4, Provoke not your children to anger, to wrath if you please, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We've been given by God that obligation. And what a lovely responsibility it is. This first lesson then has used Job as a reminder that Job, though rich he was, he was spiritually oriented. May you and I be wise enough to be the same. And it brings us to lesson two. In addition to this, we've highlighted already this morning that though things started so well for Job at the beginning of chapter 1, it took a dramatically bad turn. He lost his possessions. He lost many of his servants, even his health. How did he handle it? How did it affect him? What kind of person was he after he lost it all? Sometimes you and I can become tempted to find the meaning in our life with what we own. And if I lose that, suddenly I may view myself as nothing. And I could become a miserable person to my wife, my children. I could be a terribly bad influence to them in that circumstance. Somewhat reminds us that you and I could lose everything so quickly. Let's look at how Job handled it. As we've noted earlier, many tragic things became on Job. All of these losses. Put yourself in his position. If you'd been there that day and these servants one by one arrived and told you you'd lost all of these things, how would you have ended the day? You know, we've read recently in the news about individuals, sadly, sorely, who take their life. They become so destitute and admittedly sometimes there's mental illness involved. But other times it doesn't seem to be that. This person is fully aware of what he or she is doing. And this person takes their life. Perhaps thinking life isn't worth living anymore and life has nothing more to offer. And perhaps what waits after the grave can be no worse than this. They're mistaken about that, you know. There can be a lot of things worse after this. What about that rich man in Luke 16? He left this life and it was a lot worse afterward. At the very least, can't we say this? Look at how Job handled this. And what a great thing to notice. I purposely did not read yet, but could I draw your attention to verses 20 and 21 in Job chapter 1. Now remember, this is after all this bad news that day. Listen to what Job said. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. If you'd receive that kind of news, would you worship? Or would you lift up your hand to God and say, God, how could you have done this to me? I tried to serve you and you let this happen. That's not what Job said. Look at verse 21. 
He said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I hope I'd have enough strength in the midst of a loss like that to respond like Job did. I hope I would have enough character, enough integrity, enough conviction with regard to God to answer the way Job did. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, that is not in any way a, fr- a reflection that Job didn't care. Oh, he cared. He loved his children. Remember, he was offering sacrifices for them on a regular basis. He cared all right, but he knew there was one greater than his possessions and even one greater than his children. In his spiritual orientation, he faced adversity, and he faced it with a continuing trust and faith in God. For that reason, I would call you to appreciate chapter 13, verse 15. That's a little bit later in the book of Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even in the midst of these dire circumstances, his trust, his conviction, his faith in God was such that no matter what happens, I'm going to be faithful to him. Gentlemen, I hope that kind of thing can be descriptive of you and me, no matter what. No matter what the circumstances, be they pleasant, be they good and enjoyable, or whether they be extremely hard and filled with adversity, may we, like Job, strive to face it in such a way that our faith never wavers. Maybe as you and I close that slide, look at how many passages in the New Testament, and even otherwise, encourage all of us to face adversity like this. I would call to your attention Philippians 4 verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, Paul, of course, as he penned those words, he himself was in a very hard situation in a Roman prison. And he said, I've learned to be content, trusting in God. And did you notice two verses later in verse 13 of Philippians 4? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, that passage perhaps takes us to Romans 5. Because beginning in verse 3 of that chapter, Paul made this rather powerful and yet profound statement. Romans 5, beginning in verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Paul said we glory in tribulation. That takes a great deal of challenge. Most of the time, we don't like tribulation. We don't like adversity, oppression, and hardship. And yet, Paul, on this occasion, wrote, We glory in this because it brings about a greater attribute of internal strength. That's the word experience. But it also brings hope. Again, may I say, I hope that even in adversity, we could respond somewhat like Job did. Our children are watching us after all. Our wife is watching us. Our friends and neighbors are watching us. 
May we exhibit that conviction. As you and I close that slide, that kind of statement brings us to lesson three. In addition to these first two, what about this statement of confidence? I realize that in the midst of failing health, and in the midst of loss of possessions, it's easy for one's confidence to be shaken, to begin to doubt, to begin to waver, to begin to wonder, well, maybe there really isn't anything to this God business. May I say, gentlemen, we've got to be strong. Our wife, our children, as they watch us, they need to see a life dedicated to the truth of God, even in the midst of things that are good and in the midst of those things that are not so good. Surely we see that in Job. We mentioned a minute ago that text in Job thirteen fifteen: Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. All throughout this book, Job's friends on several occasions basically said, Job... In order for this to have happened to you, you must have sinned. Now, you may not be willing to admit it, but let's face it, you did. And on other occasions, they said, Job, given the magnitude of these losses, you must have been a terrible sinner. Through all of that, Job maintained his integrity. He maintained his thought, I know that there's a God in heaven, and I know I've tried to serve Him. He didn't let those friends persuade him otherwise. On this slide, could I call this to your attention? Even the devil was mistaken. Don't you hope the devil's wrong about you? Remember, as this book began, Job was described as perfect and upright. And the devil basically came before God and said, God, you know he's only serving you because you're so good to him. If you take those blessings away or allow them to be taken, you know He won't serve you. The devil was wrong, you know. Even after those blessings were removed, even after he lost his health and all those animals, Job still maintained an attribute of faithfulness and he maintained a dedication and a determination to God. His confidence in God didn't waver. Could I invite you to consider chapter 19, verse 26? It is in that passage we find a dramatic statement, again, from the lips of Job. Job 19, verse 26. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Yet in my flesh shall I see God. Notice, even with all these losses, Job still said, I'm going to live for God and I'm going to see Him. What about the direction of your life and mine? Do you live with that kind of conviction and that kind of confidence? For I assure you, if you do, you will positively impact your children, your wife, and those who, who are around you that you love. Job's confidence was beautiful. And look at some of these examples at the bottom of the slide. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, aren't we told on that occasion for all of us, the sweetness and the beauty of that confidence in God. Acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Adding to that, we might notice in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, don't you love this statement by Paul, I know whom I've believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Do you know who you've believed? 
We can't just be a sidelight in the business for Him. Paul said, I know whom I believed. It is with that degree of belief and that degree of confidence. It encourages all of us as fathers. One last verse is that 1 Peter 4, 19. Isn't it amazing on that occasion how there's an unmoving, an unwavering foundation for life. Job seemingly knew what it was. May you and I be wise enough to know it as well. Lesson number four is this one. So far, having looked at these three, we'll only look at two more and the lesson will be yours today. The fourth lesson is humble and sincere. Job was a wealthy man. We've already noted that. And sometimes one in wealth can often become arrogant. You can get to the point that you look down condescendingly upon others and maybe even you act in a very abrasive way toward them. Aren't you impressed that Job did not behave like that? In fact, as evidence of that, would you turn to the last chapter in the book? Job chapter 42, verse number 6. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Was Job arrogant and prideful to the point where he no longer cared about service to God? And of course, the answer is no. And rather, after God directed instruction toward him, Job in this verse says, I'm sorry for what I did. A Bible father will be happy to say, I'm sorry. A Bible father doesn't always think he's right in everything, and when he makes a mistake, he's willing to admit it. He's willing to acknowledge it, and he's willing to make it right. Job did. You'll notice it says he repented himself in dust and ashes. Although his friends were mistaken, Job didn't always conduct himself in every way the way that God wanted. And rather, his viewpoint needed correction. And so on that top slide, Bible fathers are always of that kind of attitude, aren't they? They're humble, and they're kind, and they're sincere, and they're earnest. Does that describe you and me? Is that an, an apt description of us? I hope that it is. I pray that it is. Because the Word of God lifts up this statement in Matthew 18, verses 3 and 4. Jesus on that occasion brought a little child before Him and said, Whosoever shall humble himself shall be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We must, we must be those who are given to humility. In Colossians 3, verse 12, we are commanded to put on humbleness of mind. You'll notice one more thing in James 4, 10 and 1 Peter Chapters 4 and 5 as well, particularly chapter 5, verse 6. It is there said, Humble yourself for the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Apart from humility and sincerity, another thing about a Bible father, and I know all Bible fathers of the audience know this well, we're blessed. We're so blessed. In fact, isn't it true that God vindicated Job... Would you note with me verses 7 and 8 of Job 42? And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, 
My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. You'll notice God said to Eliphaz, You know, what you said is not right, but what Job said was right. Look at the next verse. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go up to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. They needed Job to pray for them. A Bible father is a blessed man. He loves his children and they love him. And he loves his wife and she loves him. And that family, that home, is truly a fantastic thing. It's an honor to God and the thing for which God stands. Job was blessed and he knew it. Now it's true that as you and I look at verses 10 and following, it says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So he may have lost his sheep and the oxen and the donkeys and the camels, but God blessed him in such a way that he not only got them back or had an equal number back, but he even had more Gentlemen, how often do you thank God for His blessings of your life? May we all be quick with a word of adoration and praise for the One who gives us these things. And although we'll look at it in more detail tonight, James 1.17 comes to mind. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. As you and I close that slide, we've looked then at several lessons that I hope a Bible father like Job can teach us. Lessons that are great, and lessons that are meaningful, and lessons that we might summarize like this. We've reviewed, at least in a major way, the life of Job this morning. And as we did, we've now learned these lessons. First, as a Bible father, Job was spiritually oriented. Physical things were important, but spiritual things were more important. Secondly, Job faced adversity in a very commendable way. Naked came I from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In addition, though, to that matter of adversity, oh, what confidence in God He exhibited all throughout these difficult moments. Through it all, He remained humble, and he also remained sincere. And finally, he knew how blessed he was. I hope all of us can be motivated continually in our service to God by examples like Job. Maybe there's someone in this audience today, and upon analysis of your life, it isn't what it should be. You know that not because of anything I might say, or even one of our elders, but because it's what this says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Are you a faithful servant of the Lord today? If you've never become a Christian, what the Bible commands is you must believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess His name as the Messiah, and to be baptized for the remission of your sins. If we could help you today, we'd be happy to do it. If you've become a Christian, though, but you've walked away from your first love, You've brought disgrace perhaps on the church, perhaps on Jesus, maybe even to your family, those that you love so much, and yet by your activity and the way you've chosen to live, 
you've brought hardship to them, and you've brought a degree of not only distaste, but a great deal of condemnation based on the things of God, based on your choices. You know God does love you, and He wants you to make the right choice. If we could help you do that today, we'd be happy to do that. The Song of Encouragement has been selected. If anyone would wish to come now, we'd invite you to do it while together we stand and while we sing.